Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. There's good news and bad news. And as you can tell, uh, the bad news is, for you, I'm preaching this morning. But there's two parts of good news. And the first one is, you'll be glad to know, this might be the shortest sermon I've ever written. So, for those of you who are used to me keeping you here until like noon, uh, you're going to be happy about that. And for those of you who have never heard me preach before, you'll be happy to know, the other part of good news is, Jared will be back next week, and I don't preach very often. So, you can look forward to that. Uh, We're going to be continuing... In Luke chapter 11, where, where Jared left off last week, we'll be in Luke 11 again this morning, uh, we continue to look at these stories from the life of Jesus, just stories of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're skipping ahead a few verses from where we left off last week, we'll kind of touch on them as we go, uh, but if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be in Luke 11, starting in verse 29. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. <clears throat> Lord, we come to you this morning, uh, and we just ask that you would open up our minds and our hearts to hear, to perceive, to understand your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, that you would speak this morning, and that what is preached is simply your word, and what is heard is your word, and because of that, our lives would be changed, Lord, that we would become like you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, that what we do this morning, as we praise, as we worship, as we pray, as we as we listen, uh, that we would glorify you in all that we say and do. We thank you so much for Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, I heard about a, uh, heard about a, a, a little boy who told his dad that he just, all he wanted in life was to be a basketball player. The problem was the little boy was, was very short for his age. He wasn't very big. Uh, he wasn't very old yet anyway, but he was very short even for his age, and his dad knew that the likelihood of him growing was pretty slim, but this boy was so determined, and he said, Dad, all I want to do is play professional basketball. I will work so hard, I will do anything at all to be a professional basketball player. And the dad knew that the chances were slim, but he thought, well, I mean, what's it going to hurt to look into it? So he goes and he talks to the local coach, and he asks the local coach, all my son wants to do is play basketball, but he's not very big. What, what can we do? Is there anything at all, any exercises, any foods he should be eating, anything at all we can do so that he will grow and that he'll get taller? Basketball coach thought, well, there's not a whole lot we can do, but he said, I, I don't know. Over at the museum, they have one of those stretch racks that they used to use for torture. You know, have you considered taking him there and see if it would just, I mean, maybe he would gain a few inches. And the father thought, well, I mean, the boy said he would do whatever it takes. So uh, he started taking him to the museum. A couple weeks later, uh, the, the preacher, or the preacher, I usually tell jokes about preachers, don't I? A couple weeks later, the, uh, the father bumped into the basketball coach again, and the basketball coach said, hey, how's it going? Have you been going over there to the museum and using the stretch rack? And the father said, yeah, we have. And the coach said, has it, has it made any difference at all? Is he getting taller? And, and the dad said, well, he's not gotten any taller, but he's confessed to several things I didn't know about. <laughs> now that, it may not seem like it for a while, but that does have something to do with where we're going uh, this morning. Before we go any further, though, let's get into the scripture. Luke chapter 11, verse 29 is where I'm I'm starting. Here's what it says. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, 
but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but when I first read that, my, my first thought is, what is Luke talking about as he writes this? What is Jesus saying? I mean, this makes absolutely no sense. It seems like maybe Luke, the, the, the writer of the gospel here, Luke, took a couple of different stories, a couple of good thoughts, and he just kind of mixed them up together, and he forgot what the punchline was supposed to be. There's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, we know that Luke wasn't uh, someone who followed Jesus around during Jesus' ministry, time of ministry, but makes you wonder if maybe he was at the wedding where the water turned to wine, and he got a little too much, and he couldn't record this story the way it was supposed to be. It seems like a bit of a strange or odd passage, these things that, are, that Jesus says here. But it does have a very important message if we can take, a t take some time to look uh, a little bit deeper at it. Now first we need to set the context of this passage. We need to understand where it's coming from. You know if you've been here, Jared just finished preaching the last couple of weeks. He took time to preach on the teaching of Jesus on, on prayer from the first part of Luke chapter 11. And it took a couple weeks to talk about the teaching of, of Jesus on prayer. And that was earlier in the chapter. And then right after that, the part that we kind of skipped over here to get where we're at this morning. Jesus goes out and it tells us that, that he heals a, a demon-possessed man. He casts a demon out of a man who was, who was mute. And as soon as Jesus cast the demon out of this man, the, the man was able to speak immediately. And there were people who were, witnessed this event who, who said, well... Jesus' power comes from Satan. He could cast out demons because he's from Beelzebub, Satan. But then there were these other people who said, well, we don't know that his power came from Satan, but they said, Jesus, just, just show us a miraculous sign that your authority is from heaven. Show us a sign that what you do is from God. <clears throat> Instead of accusing him of getting his power from Satan, they just say, prove to us. Show us something that proves that your power is for, from God. Now think about that for just a minute. If you've been here with us as you've gone through the book of Luke, you have already seen all the stories Luke has included about what Jesus has done. He's already cast out demons. He has healed people who were sick. He fed the 5,000 with a, a little sack lunch. He's performed miraculous things all the way through. He's even, healed, or even raised several dead people back to life. And these people are here, these people who have witnessed all these things are here saying, well, Jesus, we could believe that your power comes from God. If you would just show us one more sign. Just show us one more thing. I don't know about you, but it seems stupid to me. They've, they've followed him around. They've witnessed what he has done. And they say, show us a sign again. Prove it again. It seems as if the crowds weren't interested in finding a Savior as much as they were in following along for the show. But as I think about it, I don't know how much different, uh, I don't know how much different that is for many of us. Because there are many of us who have been in church most of our lives for a long time, and we're very similar to that crowd. We, we kind of like the idea of staying close to Jesus, following along with Jesus. We like the idea of the love and the grace of Jesus. We like the idea of the name of Jesus. We like the idea of the sacrifice of Jesus. That brings me forgiveness. We like the peace and the prosperity that are so often preached in churches. But, but you see, truly, 
truly making Jesus our Savior means submitting. It means submitting. It means that every part of our life is then under His authority. It means that every action in my life is under His control. It means that every thought in my mind is held captive to Christ. I don't know about you, but that can seem like a bit much. It seems like a bit much. You know, sometimes a show on Sunday mornings and a show on Wednesday nights is more than enough. And so there are times that I don't know how much different I am from the crowd that is there just asking for one more sign. Hey, Jesus, before I go all in here, could you just show it to me one more time? And Jesus knows that these things are being talked about here in this passage in Luke 11. And, and in this passage that we read today, he says, This wicked group of people keep asking for a sign, but they're not going to get the sign they're looking for. He says there in our passage, the only sign they're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Verse 30 says, For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man, Jesus, be to this generation. Now, if you were to skip back to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, when Matthew tells this story in Matthew chapter 12, you'd see that Jesus went on to state that just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish, a great fish, for three days and three nights, so also Jesus would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. He's obviously referring there to his death, his burial, and his resurrection being the sign of Jonah. He's telling the crowd that they want a sign that his power over death comes from heaven and, and, and not from hell, but the only sign they're going to get is when the grave spits him out after three days because it cannot hold him down. It will be that same crowd that is here in this passage. That same crowd will show up again later and they will cry out, crucify him with their unrepentant hearts. The crowd that was here in this passage would be some of the same people because they're here just looking for a show, looking for a sign instead of a savior. They'll be the same crowd later on whose cries and cold hearts sent Christ to the cross. And so the sign of, of Jonah is a reference to the resurrection of Christ, but it's more than that. There's more to it than that because you do have to understand that a message like that demands a response. A message like that demands a response. Now, you may remember the story of Jonah. Most of you probably do. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet, and we are going to spend a little bit of time reading some of the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God, and God came to Jonah and called him to leave his home and to go to Nineveh, this wicked city of Nineveh, and preach against the wickedness of the people there, to preach condemnation, that their city, they were going to perish. But Jonah, even though he was a prophet of God, he didn't like that idea. He decided that wasn't for him. He didn't want to do what God asked him to do. And so instead, he ran away, he jumped on a ship, and he set off in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Instead of going northeast, he headed southwest on the sea. And as soon as he got on this ship, a terrible storm came up. This huge storm. The sailors were all afraid. They were terrified. They started throwing things overboard to try to lighten the load and get control of the ship, but they couldn't get control. And so finally, if you remember the story, Jonah told them, well, the reason for the storm is that God is after me. I ran away from God. I ran away from the only true God. He said, I, it, this is the God who created the land and the sea. And at that, the men were terrified even more than just from the storm. And Jonah told him, the only way to calm the storm is for you to throw me overboard. Well, initially they didn't want to do that. And so they continued trying to row back to land. But the storm got worse and worse. And so finally they said, okay, we'll throw you overboard. 
and will let your God go with you. And as soon as they tossed Jonah overboard, the sea calmed down immediately. And the text in Jonah tells us that all of the men greatly feared the Lord at that point. And you remember the story. Then Jonah gets tossed into the sea and God sends a great fish. Jonah and the whale is the way we call the story. But the text says a great fish who swallows Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then the fish spits Jonah up on dry land. Now, I remember, I can't talk about Jonah without sharing this story. I remember the first time that my oldest son, Derek, heard the story of Jonah. Because he was probably two or three at the time. Dylan was little enough, he didn't understand. Um, but Derek and I would sit down, at, you know, several nights a week. And we would read through his picture Bible before bed. And I remember the night that we got to Jonah for the very first time. I don't know, he's two or three years old. And we sit there and, and we read the story of Jonah. And on the, on the page... Is, is the picture of Jonah sinking in the water and this great big fish with its mouth open, swimming up towards Jonah, getting ready to swallow Jonah. And I said, Derek, look. I said, that fish is going to swallow the man. And he looked at me and he said, no. No. And I said, yes. Yeah. God sent the fish to swallow the man and to take him to where he was supposed to go. And Derek looked at the picture and he looked at me like, are you kidding me? He looked at the picture he said, no, no way, Dad, no way. Now, the problem we have is twofold, or, or two problems we could have here. Often, we completely ignore the reality of the story of something like Jonah and the miraculous thing that happened. But the other side of that is, some of us who have heard the story so many times, we look at it as just another thing that happened in the Bible. It's not that big of a deal. Either way, we, we fail to be amazed we fail to comprehend the, the huge miracle that this would have been. That God sent this fish to swallow this man and to take him to where he was supposed to go. But most of the time, that's where we end the story. Most of the time, we stop right there. Jonah was swallowed by the whale. He was spit up on the ground. But the story of Jonah continues on. We often just tell this story as a story of a, of a, of a man who was running from God. And you can't run away from God. Or we tell it as a story of Jonah was disobedient and there is punishment for your sin. Or, or we just tell it as a story that is a great miracle that God performed. And while all of those things may be true, there's so much more to the story of Jonah that we often leave out and that Jesus is referring to here in Luke chapter 11. You see, something happened to Jonah in the time that he was in the belly of that fish. Look at Jonah chapter 2. If you have your Bibles out, look at chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what Jonah says. He prays to God while he's inside the fish. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. While Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights... Jonah repented. Jonah repented. And then when that fish spit him up on the dry land, Jonah was ready to obey God. He repented and he obeyed God and he had to Nineveh to preach the message that God had given him. Now, there's one part of this story, it doesn't matter to what we're talking about this morning, but it's interesting. I decided to look it up. I wanted to know what was the closest point where a fish could spit a man out on dry land, the closest point to the city of Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh. 
And if the fish went to the very closest point, Jonah would have still had to travel 350 miles. So he was willing to obey. Now, if the fish put him out where he originally started from, he would have had to travel about 550 miles. So Jonah repented and then decided to obey. He followed the word of God that had come to him. And when Jonah got to Nineveh, he preached the message of the Lord. And the people of Nineveh listened. They responded. God told Jonah, I wrote in my, t in my notes right there, it says Johan. God told Johan. I spelled it wrong. But anyway, God told Jonah to tell the people of Nineveh that their city was going to be destroyed in 40 days. That was the message he preached. He didn't say, if you do this, it won't, won't happen. He said, your city will be destroyed in 40 days because of your evil and wicked ways. That was the message Jonah preached. And the people of Nineveh heard the message and they believed Jonah. And when Jonah's message then got to the king of Nineveh, the king issued a decree that all of the people, everyone in Nineveh, should fast and pray. Even the animals should fast. And they were going to call on the name of the Lord. And the king of Nineveh says... Who knows, maybe, maybe he will hear our hearts and spare our city. And if you look at Jonah chapter 3 verse 10, God's response is this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So when God saw their repentance, he spared the city. But keep following because then the story gets really interesting. Chapter 4, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah must have so quickly forgotten about God's grace in his own life. It was just a short time before this that, that Jonah had been tossed into the sea, left in the middle of the sea to drown, and God sent the fish to save him, even after Jonah's disobedience. Jonah wants to see the wrath of the, on the sin of Nineveh while he still enjoys the grace and mercy of God that covers his own sin. And that also sounds a bit too familiar to me. I don't know about you, but I like to see... God punish the people who I think have sins worse than my own. They get what they deserve, right? I truly appreciate God's saving grace for my own sin, but I long to see God's vengeance on the sins of others, especially those who have hurt me. And if you're like me, you can probably right now think of someone who you know who you don't think deserves the chance to repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says, But God is not slow concerning His promise, but He's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I think we have to thank God every day that He gives us all the chance to repent, even though none of us deserve it. But then the story goes on. Jonah, in his anger, went outside of the city, and he flopped down, he sat down, he made himself a shelter, and it says he waited to see what would happen to the city. He was still waiting for the city of Nineveh to explode from God's judgment, from his wrath, even though he knew that God had said he would spare them because of their repentance. While Jonah waited, 
God sent Jonah a vine, the text says. We're in Jonah chapter 4 now, if you're following along. God sent Jonah a vine or a tree that grew up overnight. And it gave Jonah shade. And it says that Jonah was very happy with the vine. But the next day, God sent a worm to eat the vine. And it withered and died immediately. And look at Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 8. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now, if you were dealing with this person with all the back and forth, at this point you would say he needs medication. <clears throat> but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah answered, I do. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And that's how the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, ends in our Bible. God told, these, that God told Jonah that these people that Jonah wanted to see destruction come upon. He wanted them to be destroyed. They were people who God had created and who God cared about. And Jonah cared more about this vine that provided his shade than he did the people who were created in God's image. And, and we don't know anything else. We're not told at that point if Jonah ever repented from his hard heart. But what we do know is that the people of Nineveh did the, the sign of Jonah in the story of Jonah is a message of repentance. When they heard the message of God's word preached, they repented and they obeyed. <coughs> Excuse me. When they experienced God, they were changed. And back in Luke chapter 11, Jesus told the people that the only sign they were going to get was the sign of Jonah. The message had already been preached. Even though the demonstration of that sign, Christ's resurrection, was yet to come. But the crowds there in the time of Jesus were still in danger of completely missing the Savior because they were simply looking for a show. And he goes on to say the queen of the south would also rise to condemn the wickedness of this evil generation. And again, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Again, we're spending a little bit of time in the Old Testament this morning, but we need to go back to the Old Testament to understand what Jesus is talking about here. And this, this story of the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba, is recorded in two different places. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 9 to understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, you probably remember King Solomon. You probably remember King Solomon. And he was the king who followed David, David's son. So David was the one who killed Goliath. Then David became king. Then when David died, his son Solomon became king. Solomon built the temple of God. He was considered the wisest, richest, and most famous person in all of the earth at the time. And Solomon had been told by God to ask for anything that he wanted, anything that he needed. And Solomon's answer, if you remember, was that he needed wisdom to lead, to lead God's people with discernment. And God said, that's a great choice. And since you've chosen so well, I'm going to give you everything. Fame, riches, and wisdom. So Solomon had answers for everything. God gave him this incredible understanding 
of how the world worked. He, he was described in the Bible as basically being an expert on every subject. And so he was famous all around the world for his wisdom. People would come from all over the world to test him, to ask him questions, to listen to him speak, and to give presentations. And they would come to see his riches and his glory as well. And that's where we find Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. I'm just going to read through some of the verses here so you understand the story of the Queen of the South. When the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. And when the Queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon and all that he had, she was overwhelmed, it says. She said, I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. <coughs> Excuse me. And here's the important verse. Here's the point of this passage. Her next response is this. Verse 8. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God. So when the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, came to visit Solomon, she was overwhelmed with his wisdom. She saw his riches. She heard his wisdom. She listened to his message. And she, then in response to meeting Solomon, then she praised God. Because she knew Solomon and his glory and his fame and his riches and his wisdom were from God. Now she was from a faraway country. She was a woman who had worshipped many gods. She didn't know the one true God, the God of Israel, until she met Solomon. But when she heard from Solomon, when she tested him and, and saw his wisdom, heard his responses, his message, she praised the God of Israel, the only true God. She experienced God through Solomon, and she was changed by it. The text doesn't go on to tell us that she repented. It doesn't tell us that she never again worshipped another false god. But Jesus in Luke chapter 11 does tell us that because she listened to Solomon's wisdom and she understood, she knew that it was from God, she believed and was changed. And so she would also rise up to testify against the wicked generation who hears the message and yet does not believe. You see, the people of Nineveh heard the word of God preached by Jonah. And they repented from their wickedness. The, the queen of the south heard the wisdom of God through Solomon. And she praised God for his greatness. And Jesus says here in Luke 11, that on the judgment day that is to come, they will testify against these crowds of people who have heard and watched and lived beside Jesus and yet have not changed. Those people of old responded to the message from men like Jonah and Solomon, and they were changed by that message from God. But Jesus tells this crowd that he's talking to that he's right there with them. I'm with you in the flesh, God in the flesh. And I'm greater, he says, than both Jonah and Solomon, and yet the crowds, the people, will not be moved to repent and to obey. Now, there's a very important word in the text here in Luke chapter 11 that we haven't talked about yet. <clears throat> and, and honestly, as I read through it, you wouldn't even pick up on it because the word here that we're going to look at is not even used 
NIV version, which I read from. I don't know, some of your other Bibles, um, whatever you're following along with, may have included it. But this word is there in the original Greek as it was written. And it's used two times in this passage in Luke 11. And the NIV leaves it out in both times. But in my Bible it says, and now one greater than Solomon is here. And then later it says, and now one greater than Jonah is here. And the word that should be there, and some of you may have it, it says, behold, one greater than Solomon is here. Behold, one greater than Jonah is here. And the reason that I say this word is so important to this passage is because in the Greek, the word here for behold means experience. Jesus says, experience me. Experience that one greater than Solomon and one greater than Jonah is here. You see, it's not enough to just see the signs. It's not enough to just take the handouts of bread. It's not enough to just hear the words, to watch the show. It's not enough to just sit in the seats on a Sunday morning. It's not enough to just associate yourself with the name of Jesus. It's not enough to just name it and claim it. If you truly experience Jesus and the gospel message, you should be changed. You should be different. You see, the only response to experiencing Jesus is to repent and to obey like those who will testify against the ones who do not believe. You know, many people treat repentance the way that I play the game, sorry. <clears throat> now, you know the board game, sorry. My daughter Kendall and I like to play, sorry. We play it together. And, and the best part of the game, you're going to see some of the darkness inside of me. The best part of the game it's when she has a game piece that's very close to the safety zone. She's getting close to the home. And then I draw the card, sorry. And I put the card down and I pick my token up and I swipe her token off the board. I put mine in place and I say, sorry about that. I'm so sorry. But I'm not really sorry. The words don't mean anything. What I'm really thinking is, I'm happy that I got in the way. I'm happy that I might win the game. I'm glad there's no consequences for this action. I'm not sorry about anything. The words don't mean anything to say that I'm sorry if there's no action to prove it. You see, repentance demands a response. It demands a change. It doesn't just demand saying I'm sorry. The words don't mean anything. And Jesus says that it is a wicked generation of people in his time and in ours. It is a wicked generation of people who keep asking for signs. They're not changed by what they've already seen. They aren't moved by the message of the cross. They don't submit to the authority of Christ. They might say they're sorry because they like the association with Jesus but they don't believe and repent. And one more miraculous sign isn't going to change that. But if you truly experience Jesus, if you truly spend time with Christ, you are changed. You don't just say you're sorry. When you experience Jesus, you believe the message of the cross and you repent and you obey. 
Now, as I said earlier, in Matthew's gospel, it tells us that Jesus said that just like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, Jesus would also be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And, and while the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is the proof of the sign of Jonah, the daily demonstration of the sign of Jonah is whether or not you and I die to ourselves and live for Christ. The daily demonstration of the sign of Jonah that Jesus preaches of is whether or not you and I die to ourselves and live for Christ. Look back just a couple of verses there in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to go back to just verse 27. There's just a quick little interaction that explains this better than me. In verse 27 it says, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus' response, he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Because those who hear the message, those who truly experience Jesus, are changed by it. The sign of Jonah, as Jesus preaches about here, is the message of the cross, the gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And our response is and always should be repentance and obedience. Because when we experience Jesus, we are changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the message of the cross. Without that message, without that sacrifice, we would have no hope. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength, the courage, the desire to not just make it something we associate ourselves with, not just something that we follow around and kind of hold on to when it's convenient. Lord, help us to take that message and to be changed by it, to become like you. Lord, help us to be a people who are a people of daily repentance and obedience. We thank you for the sign of Jonah that demonstrates your power. It also demonstrates our commitment as we live out our lives with repentance and obedience to you. We thank you for your word that changes us we thank you for the cross that gives us a hope. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning.